What happens when you're going about life and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, tragedy strikes? The loss of a job that you had been depending on is no longer there and you're not sure what you're going to do or maybe a person that you have placed all of your trust and love in has done the unthinkable and your heart is completely shattered to pieces or the dream that you've been counting on and hoping for and really spending a lot of your time and energy on pursuing no longer seems like it's available to you. Well, it's in those moments when we are faced with a choice, whether we like it or not, we can either face the unfathomable pain and grief, the loss, or to stuff and push down our emotions and try to just soldier on. Now, for many, many years in my own life, I wasn't sure how to deal with grief and loss, whether it be a loss of a job, which happened many times, or the loss of relationships, rejection, and the sadness and heartache that came with that. And even the loss of dreams that just didn't seem to come to fruition. Before I knew it, I felt like I was knee deep in my own negative thought patterns and quite frankly, really unable to pull myself out for a really, really long time. Now, a few months ago, I was sent a few books that sat on my shelf as I was transitioning from Toronto, moving to small town Ontario. And there was one in particular that really stuck out to me, the title called Breathe Again just gripped at my heart. How to live well when life falls apart. Now, I can honestly say that my life wasn't falling apart, but I sure did know what it meant when things were not going the way that I wanted them to go, because they weren't. No matter how hard I seemed to try to make things happen the way that I wanted to, it just really wasn't going the way that I had planned. And it wasn't long before that time period where I was experiencing some deep loss in my own life. And it was in that moment that I stumbled back across the book Breathe Again by Nikki Hardy and I started flipping through the pages of the book. It was like a healing bomb just came over my soul, the words that she had written in the book were exactly what I needed to hear at that moment in time in my life. So friend, whatever you may be facing today, whether it's the loss of a dream or a job, security, relationship, or maybe you just feel like you're out of sorts for some reason, or maybe there is a unthinkable health crisis that you are navigating. In this book, in this conversation, the words that Nikki has to share will literally breathe life back into you. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hello, my friend. Do I have a treat for you? 
This conversation honestly is so encouraging, so inspiring, and I cannot wait to share it with you. It felt like having a conversation with a friend, sitting in my living room with a couple glasses of wine and some amazing desserts. I was captivated by my guest today and I basically think I could be best friends with her. Now, my guest, Nikki Hardy, watched her mother pass away from cancer and then her sister a few years later. When she herself was diagnosed just six weeks after the death of her sister, she was left reeling and questioning her own life and merely surviving a life that bore no resemblance to the one she thought she was going to be living. Diagnosed with rectal cancer, she began to face an unimaginable journey. With humor mixed with grit and her real life account of her own personal journey, she began to pen the book, Breathe Again, How to Live Well When Life Falls Apart. Nikki Hardy unpacks seven practices to thrive, not just survive, no matter what life throws at us. And I am so excited to introduce to you, Nikki Hardy. Nikki, I am so thrilled to have you on the Courage Cast today. I just devoured your book, Breathe Again, this weekend while I was away in Toronto. I had my highlighter out, I had my post-it notes. It was literally um, just breathing life into me. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, when I read the cover, it just hit me. It was like, wow, I need to read this. I need to, to um, see what this woman has to say. So to have you on the podcast is just really an honor. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, I always ask people to just really introduce themselves and just tell us a little bit about what you're passionate about. Well, um, as you can probably tell just from listening, um, I'm not from North America, (laughs) not even from the deep south, the deep south of England. I'm a Londoner born and bred, but I now live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And officially, I'm a writer and a speaker and a pastor's wife and all those kinds of things. Unofficially, I'm a teller of terrible jokes. I'm the kind of person who would much rather go for a run on the trails with our dogs than get my nails done. And I'm kind of a tell it as it is kind of person who's only really coming into what she feels God has called her to do kind of late on in life. I'm in my 50s and just discovering kind of the note that he's called me to. So it's exciting. It really is. Now, you have quite the story. Um, and, and I want to know the, what was kind of the catalyst you have, um, overcome cancer, you call yourself a thriver, which I absolutely love. And what was kind of the catalyst for you to write a book about your story and about the journey that you were on? That's a great question because I didn't grow up wanting to be an author. In fact, I gave up English and any kind of writing beyond science papers at 16. So I'm not one of these people who's always been desperate to be a published author. And having gone through my cancer journey, which um, for anyone who doesn't know me, came hot on the heels of losing both my mum and my sister to cancer. And theirs was lung cancer, which is really brutal. And mine, as I'd 
say in the book was rectal cancer, which I'm only just kind of able to say out loud and on air because, you know, it's not the kind of thing that most people talk about in public. Mm -hmm. But I went through this journey of deciding I was going to survive, that I'm a Brit with a stiff and perfectly waxed up a lip and, you know, with my <laughs> God and my grit and my determination, I was going to survive. And then after chemo and surgery and radiation and having an ostomy bag to deal with and then more chemo, I found that surviving was all I was doing. I was barely surviving a life I never planned or imagined or had signed up for. You know, someone had put me on the cancer train without my permission. And it was during that time that I met people that called themselves cancer thrivers. And it was as if they were saying, I know life sucks right now, but I'm jolly well going to grab the most out of it right where I am. And I had kind of put life on hold it was as if I was saying, well, when this is over, then I can live life again. I'll get my life back. I'll have my energy back. You know, I'll enjoy life again. And I think whether it's a cancer diagnosis or the loss of a loved one, even the loss of a dream or a breakdown of a relationship, anything, when life falls apart, we kind of hunker down and wait until everything's sorted out before we can live life again. And that's what we think we should do. But these people were saying, I might not have a future, so I'm going to grab all life has for me right now. And I didn't really know how to do that. And so I started asking people that I knew how they did it. And so what came out of it was this how-to book about how to live well when life falls apart, how to thrive and not just survive, how to, um, you know, really grab hold of the belief that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. So Breathe Again is the book that I needed when I was sick. It's kind of part BFF, part spiritual coach and cheerleader and 100% down to earth and practical. So that was really the impetus to writing it. Now, I love what you just said about the, the community and how you were able to kind of pull from their experience and to, to really be able to access that yourself is, is pretty amazing. Um, and, and, and I think in, when people are going through things, whether it be uh, a diagnosis, um, in their health or even just, you know, going through loss, it's so tempting to isolate. Mm. And so, um, you know, to, to try to do it on our own and, um, navigate, you know, a, a loss of a job or a marriage or something alone, it's Why do you so, think it was so, so different true. for you to to actually kind of come into that community? Well, let me fess up. It wasn't different for me. Okay. <laughs> so as I explain um, in the book, to start with, I shunned the cancer community. Um, and this is terrible to admit, but it was part um, arrogance and pride. You know, I don't need them. I'm not one of them. Um, those are sick people. I'm not really sick, that sick. They must be weak. They need other people kind of thing. Um, there was also fear. 
in there. I didn't want to show up and be vulnerable. And I was worried, you know, if they were nice to me, I'd cry and then I wouldn't be able to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want to get close to people who quite frankly might die. And I'd had enough grief and loss. So on the one hand, I craved community. You know, we are created in the likeness of a triune God who is by his very nature community. And so there's part of us that aches for it. But at the same time, community is scary. I'd been hurt by community before and emotions and vulnerability are um, hard places to sit in. And so I had this kind of love-hate relationship with it in terms of the cancer community, but I realized that I needed people in my life who couldn't just offer sympathy, like my friends and family who love me dearly, but didn't know what it was like to have an ostomy bag leak in the middle of the grocery store or to sit in the middle of a a scanning machine or be plugged into chemo. I needed people who could offer empathy and were my kind of get it people. And so that's when I started reaching out to the cancer community. And yeah, you know, learning from them both practically and emotionally. Now, because you had already gone through grief as a sister and a daughter, Mm. Here you were on one side of the coin, you know, going through grief on your own. How different was it to then be in a community that you had kind of been on the opposite side of? You had been the family member and now you were the person. It was very interesting. You know, when you are a caregiver, a friend, a daughter, a sister, you have all these assumptions about the person who is hurting. And so many of mine were completely wrong. You know, I couldn't understand why my um, sister was being stubborn and wouldn't accept help. I couldn't understand why my mom wanted to hide away and just be alone in her room when the pain got too bad. I I couldn't understand so much. It's like, well, why don't you just accept help? Why, you know, why don't you want to talk about it? And then being on the other side of it, I'm like, well, I totally understand why you feel that way. Accepting help is hard. We don't like feeling weak and in need and um, out of control. And when pain takes over, there's something in us that um, folds inwards and it's not a kind of outwards expression. And so there was so much more that I was able to understand and kind of almost wanted to go back and say, I'm sorry I bugged you. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you say that because right now in my family, we are going through um, a cancer crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's um, one of my younger cousins. And so to watch my family, and this is different than, you know, some of my relatives that had been older and going through it, you know, where she's a teenager and, you know, kind of seeing, you know, her, um, reaction and how Mm -hmm. she is dealing with it, you know, versus the family. And, um, and so it's been a really interesting journey, you know, to, to kind of see it even from, um, my perspective. And of course, then now to hear yours. Mm. Um, 
And I think there's so many things that we can um, believe about ourselves, believe about the situation. One of the things that she believes, and she just says said to me just the other day, actually, she just said, Andrea, like, why complain? You know, it's not helping me anyways. This is coming from a 15-year-old. Mm. And, you know, I went home and, and thought to myself, wow, like, I'm complaining about so many things. <laughs> and you know, just to see her resilience as a 15 year old. And I'm sure now that I'm hearing you, there is probably so much more going on Mm. behind the scenes. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that we do believe in your book. You talk about this quite a bit at the very beginning. And I just kind of want to read you a quote from your own book. Um, For those of you who are going to read this book, um, you're going to love this. But here it goes. If we want to live life fully in the midst of pain and beyond, we must pull up those lies by their roots. God is calling us to grab hold of his abundance right where we are, but the call of God always requires us to leave something behind. To live abundantly, even in the midst of pain and suffering, we must leave behind the false beliefs holding us back. Which I love. I love that. Now, the lies we believe about ourselves are difficult at the best of times, but especially when we're going through loss or crisis of some sort. So I want to ask you, how do we begin to root out those lies? It's a great question because for so many of us, we've got no idea we're believing them. We just operate out of them and we don't go, oh, this is a piece of nonsense I'm believing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, we react out of it. And um, I first heard of a psychologist called Martin Seligman by reading Sheryl Sandberg's book, Option B. She's the Mm -hmm. CEO of Facebook, brilliant book. And I got really into um, Seligman's work because he was looking at hundreds of people, thousands of people who had developed resistance in the face of suffering. And they were able to deal with a number of these lies that kind of take us by surprise and um, we fall into when life falls apart. And those three are personalization, it's all my fault, so one variation of that or another, Um, permanence, it's always going to be this way, and pervasiveness, now my whole life is affected. And when I read that, it was like I suddenly, the light went on, the pom-poms came out, and I was like, yes, that's me. You know, I've seen the film, I've got the t-shirt, I've read the book. You know, those Mm -hmm. are the things I believe about myself. You know, when um, I got cancer, it it must have been the genes that I was born with. You know, my mom and my sister had cancer, and even though the doctors told me that wasn't the case, I still thought it was my fault. Maybe it was because I'm not very good at washing my fruit and veg. And, you know, maybe there are still pesticides on there or something like that. And, you know, I blamed myself, the financial implications. I, If you name it, I found something to blame myself for. And then there was the pervasiveness, you know, the fact that my whole life felt like it was affected. You know, every time my teenagers were sulky, it was because they couldn't cope with... Um, what I was going through and they were obviously doing drugs, uh, you know, in break time at school. And, you know, there was, everything was affected. Every argument with my husband was a, you know, imminent divorce. It just felt like every part of my life got 
cancer, where my bum got cancer. And then there was this feeling of it's always going to be like this. And I can never see my life not affected by cancer. And, um, and so these things just really aren't true. Even if you've lost a loved one, there is a time when life will be brighter eventually. Um, you know, you, you look at children who have lost a parent when they were relatively young, you know, they're happy, healthy, vibrant adults now, and they're okay. And so we need to pick up these roots, whether it's the roots we believe about ourselves or the other ones that I talk about, the ones we believe about God. Mm -hmm. So yes, those ones we believe about God are equally damaging. You know, despite being a pastor's wife, you know, I'd love to think that I got a, you know, a pass from from believing all this rubbish, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, um, absolutely not. So if people think their pastor's wives hover around on a spiritual cloud, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I believed God was angry. He was trying to teach me something. Maybe he wasn't as good as I thought he was. Maybe he's off helping more spiritual people who annotate their Bibles and, you know, this kind of thing. Um, and all that is just not true. And we've got to, like you said in that quote, we've got to pull it up by the roots and then we've got to replace it with truth. And the more we can do that, the more we can react out of that place of truth and security rather than operating out of that place of, you know, lies and darkness almost. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were saying, being a pastor's wife and kind of having that, that pressure or that expectation, maybe that we presuppose on ourselves or perhaps the church does. But for me, I was a pastor and I felt similarly in the sense of when things would go wrong and I would think, oh, you know, like maybe it's because, you know, I'm just not doing the right thing or, you know, God, um, you know, doesn't love me. And, and, and a lot of those things, you know, stemmed from, you know, probably false beliefs that I had um, about God or about the church or about all sorts of things. But no one's exempt from, mm. you know, if we have relationship with the divine, then we are often going to question it and question, you know, why is this happening? And God, do you not love me? Have I not done the right things? Which is really can be very uh, damaging, um, not only to our faith, but also just to our emotional and spiritual health. And, and so I find that really interesting because I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to think, okay, well, I just have to have faith. I just have to believe and and really at the root there are probably so many things that we are believing negatively about our creator and negatively about who he's made us to be that kind of spin us out so So true so i want to ask you um i have lots of clients coaching clients women who i talk to a lot we talk about mindset. We talk about rooting out these um, these lies, um, breaking agreement, that type of thing. And mm-hmm. you know, so often we're talking about things, and they're in the tension. They're in the place where they know where the next step is. They know what they need to be doing, but they can't seem to get there. They they're going back into the negative lie. How? 
can they, um, how can they action that? How can they cut that? How practically can they do that? It's a really tricky thing. And I think the, the key thing to changing any habit or changing any mindset is to notice when we are believing those kind of things, because we can't change anything that we're not aware of. I remember when Al and I, uh, Al's my husband, and we only came to faith in our first year of marriage. And we were doing quite a lot of kind of searching. And we went to this conference where there was this big notice board and all it said on the notice board was notice. It was a notice notice. And it was basically saying, we have to notice what's going on around us, but also what's going on inside our head. And so it's not until we see the same patterns and then we look at the patterns and we can say, I'm doing it again. Why am I doing it again? And, you know, the book Breathe Again is deeply practical. And one of the exercises I've got in there is to kind of dig for what that lie is. And so I did it myself as I was writing the book. And you ask yourself, so, and, and it's like you're going on a treasure hunt to find the root. And so I was like, well, if God loved me, this wouldn't be happened. This wouldn't happen. Well, why? Well, because he's meant to be good. So, well then, you know, if he loved me and you just keep digging and digging and digging. And I was shocked because I did it in real time as I wrote the book. And, you know, I have always preached and believed in God's grace and there, the very tip of the lie I believed was that I wasn't good enough, that I had to earn God's love. And it was like this moment as I hit the final keys and I was like, oh, that's the root of the lie, I believe. And so I think what we can do is we can notice and then we can dig. Mm -hmm. Where's it really coming from? And then we can pull it up by the root. And you do have really, really practical exercises in the book. And I think that is what I resonated with at the end of each chapter. You have these questions that, you know, even as a coach for myself, like when I was reading it, I was like, I could answer these questions and, you know, and get something for myself out of it immediately. And of course I was highlighting everything as I went through, but, and that's why I love, I love this book. I think that if, if you're going through something, this is definitely a book that that you guys need to have your hands on. But one of the things you talk about is choosing brave. Of course, the name of our podcast is The Courage Cast. We talk about living bravely all the time. So choosing brave, which is an action, you have to choose brave. Um, you talk about in the book is not the same as being fearless. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I first came across the the phrase choosing brave actually from Becky whose story I share in that chapter she's a young mum and she lost her husband hot on the heels of losing her father but she was eight months pregnant with her, their second child when she lost her husband and she talks about choosing brave and and so I kind of hacked it from her with her permission, of course, but it's this sense that so often we don't feel brave. We're not fearless, especially when we're at our weakest and most raw and most hurt and vulnerable. But choosing brave is something that we can do. It's a step that we can take. It doesn't need to be big 
but it does need to be intentional. And it's a step that will always lead to a fuller, more abundant life than often the easier choice that is so much more inviting because it's the path of least resistance. But, you know, examples like getting out of bed when your depression hits hard, that's a really brave choice. You Mm. know, breaking up in, in an abusive relationship, that's a seriously brave choice. And it can be big and it can be small, but they will always lead to life as opposed to, you know, the easier decision to stay with the status quo. And so often, you know, it's brave isn't something you are, it's something you do. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, that's so true. Um, The situations in life that we encounter, the, the times that I think are, we're probably in the, the most vulnerable place are the times where we have to choose to, you know, talk to our boss and tell the boss what we really are thinking, you know, or to, um, you know, have that conversation with a loved one when it feels like it's really vulnerable and it may change things and, and being, um, courageous and being brave and taking those risks when you don't know what's on the other side of, Mm. of doing that. And, and so when I was reading that to me, it was just like, it was so good. And I'm in a stage in my own life where it really, really applied for me of thinking, you know what, like choose brave. You can still be, um, in a place where you're fearful or you might even have anxiety or there may be, um, times where you're tempted to give up, but you still are choosing brave, even in the, in the little things as well Mm -hmm. as the, the big things. You know, brave is the choice we make when we come face to face with hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we often rattle off the Joshua 1 9, you know, be strong, be courageous. And that's so true. You know, God isn't kind of inviting us, He's He's commanding us. But the reason we can do that is because He will go with us wherever we go. And so I like to think, you know, if I'm walking into a hard situation, like walking into the chemo, room and needing to sit in the chair, Jesus is walking in with me. You know, if you've just miscarried and you've got to go to a baby shower, Jesus is walking in with you. He will go with you wherever you go. When you walk into your boss's office to have that difficult conversation, Jesus goes with you. And that's why we can make the choice because we have our, you know, counselor, guide, advocate with us. Mm-hmm. Which makes, you know, you know, for, especially for a person of faith, you know, when you have, you know, that um, to rely on, when you have that, you know, there, I, I look, you know, at people who may not have that and who may feel that fear really, really resonating deep within them. And so often they may wonder, maybe wonder, you know, well, why, why Christianity or why choose that path? And I think that so often, you know, it can appear in the world as maybe a crutch, mm. but in the same way, it's also, it's also a, a place where we lean in and we don't have to have complete control. 
you know, where we can lose the control over um, the outcome over things in our lives, um, which which I I think that is, you know, an important thing for especially if you're listening to this and you're maybe not someone, you know, who professes to be a Christian, um, you know, a lot of times people may hear that and think, you know, what does that mean? Like Jesus walks in. What does that actually mean? (laughs) You know, Um, and it's really just this place of reliance on something that is greater than yourself and and being in that place where you can access the divine in a way that 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 is carrying you that you're not carrying yourself which is mm-hmm. so beautiful you talk a lot about um releasing that control and that we can't be in control and allow god to have control <laughs> i love that <laughs> um so it's like the flip side of the coin right like we can't control the outcome and this is something i'm going to just be honest with i struggle with okay Mm. i'm just going to put it out there because for me um i i want i do believe that you know in order for me to really be successful in the things that i feel that that are on my heart to do i feel called or compelled to be doing i have to take action i have to move on those things but now on the flip side of that, I also believe that I can't force it either. So I can't control the outcome. So there's this weird like space between taking action, moving forward, believing in the dream, um, accessing it, calling it out, and then releasing it. Can you talk to that? I think that's such a good way of explaining it. It's like there's a tension, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we're we're living in this tension where we can release control of um, our calling, insofar as you know we we want God to to um, unearth in us our purpose and our potential and our gifting. Um, but then we have to walk in the steps that he has laid out for us and discern what they are. But then, like you say, we can be in control of how much effort we put in and the integrity with which we walk that path and the brave steps that we take, but we can never be in control of what happens to us when we release it. And um, it's a hard situation, it's a, it's a hard tension to walk, whether you're walking it in pursuing your dreams, whether you're walking it in a cancer diagnosis, in parenting, in, um, you know, trying to find a husband or whatever it might be, you can do what you can do. And then somehow we have to release and let go and um somehow we've got to be both the mary and the martha in Mm. you know we've got to make things happen and equally release it to god it's like um i once heard it explained that you know we can we need to fill up with god and you know inhale and then exhale and it's like we've got to do and then we've got to be and we've got to do and we so it's like dooby dooby yeah. do <laughs> you know it's the song we can do and we can be at the same time i love the practical okay and i'm if we can keep going on this because i think that so often we don't 
get the practical we get this like pat answer like okay release mm-hmm. the outcome I remember when people used to say that to me Andrew you just need to release the outcome I'm like what does that even mean like like mm. what do you mean release the outcome I'm like I'm releasing it I'm letting control and then you know two seconds later I'm picking up the control again <laughs> because I'm worrying I'm anxious about it and I don't want to be worried and anxious I'm also one on the Enneagram, which I talk a lot about on the mm-hmm. podcast, but which means that I have a inner critical voice that is like going nonstop, which means it's really easy for me to pick up on the, you know, um, critical things that could possibly be happening. And my need to control is very, very strong. So when someone says to me, release the outcome, and you say, okay, we we do and then we be and then we do and then we be how do we how how can we action that like how did you action that what were you doing one of the very practical things that I was encouraged to do by someone much wiser and more mature in the faith than me was to visualize and to breathe and so whether I, I remember once um, after surgery, I woke up in a pool of blood and it was the middle of the night and the hospital was quiet with that kind of iridescent light and the hum of a quiet hospital ward. And I realized I was lying in this pool of blood, you know, and I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy to know mm. that that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, this fear kind of welled up in me and all, you know, I rang the little emergency cord and then all I had the capacity to do because I had absolutely no control in, you know, what was happening to my body, when the nurses would come, you know, the outcome in any way. And all I was able to do was breathe in Jesus, you know, breathe in and then breathe out the fear. And, you know, whether you're a believer or not, I think there's something very um, practical that happens physiologically when we breathe. If you've listened to any Brene Brown or anything mm-hmm. like that, she talks about block breathing. Um, but for me as well, I, so I visualized it, this breathing in of peace and comfort and breathing out the fear and the what ifs. And all I could do was breathe in and breathe out. And the other visualization thing that um, I've learned to do, and I'm not brilliant at this, you know, this takes work for me mm-hmm. <laughs> because A, I'm not very good at sitting still. B, I'm a seven. I'm a kind of joint seven and three. I tested equally, but I think I'm more of a seven. So I'm like, if something hurts, let's just move on to something else more fun. <laughs> and yeah. so sitting in that place and actually doing the work of releasing control is quite hard. But one thing I do is I visualize whatever it is and I actually visualize myself putting it at the foot of the cross and Mm. leaving it there, like taking off a backpack and putting it at the foot of the cross and walking away. And um, yeah, like you say, I have to do that multiple times a day with the same thing. And um, we used to joke, we used to work in a drug and alcohol rehab in London and we used they were actually American missionaries that um, ran it. And they would say, yes, it's a living sacrifice because they get up and walk off (laughs) and you have to put them back on. Mm -hmm. And so that I find practically visualizing really helps. Visualizing and breathing as you do it really help 
Mm, that's that's a great example. I love that. Um, I for a long time I probably you know kind of shunned meditation and visualization. I was like, what is this? Um, but then when I started to really understand the concept of it and how we can meditate and how we can visualize and and what we can do, you know, physiologically emotionally Mm -hmm. and spiritually in our bodies um it it revolutionized you know my own um ability to um let things go and also to to see you know what is possible like there are times where for myself you know i'll be in prayer and meditation and I'll, i'll ask god like will you show me you know where do you see me in this? And, you know, and I can get a, a, a visual in my mind or a picture in my mind. And that helps me even to let go of maybe what, where I am, mm-hmm. because I can see where, where I can be, you know, versus like maybe the thoughts that have kind of gotten me to this place. Um, I can see where, where, can I be? Um, and I think that's really important. I think, you know, visualization and, um, you know, in the church world has kind of been, you know, a, a weird, you know, topic. I think it's a little bit more accepted as we're going along, but I, th- I say, if you're listening and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not sure, you know, just give it a little try. See, don't, you know, just poo poo it just yet. Um, because I think there's really, really good things out of that. This conversation has completely inspired me to access the creative parts of myself. And I hope for you too, because there's something so special about taking time to be filled up and to express ourselves creatively, to work out our emotions on the canvas or through writing, dance, movement, music, whatever works for you. Now for me, it's taking that time to center myself and to open myself up to that most creative place without feeling like I have to be anything or do anything. So I want to encourage you to set aside some time this week to access the creativity in your own life. And I want to help you to do that. So I've got this beautiful guided meditation that I have written and recorded for you. And it's available over at thecouragecast.com. And it's going to lead you through the process. If you're kind of feeling a little bit unsure or uncertain about how to tap back in to that creativity, go over to thecouragecast.com, grab the guided meditation, and I really believe that it will help you. Just my little gift to you. Okay, now back to our conversation. One of the things in your book, which, you know, we talk, you talk about and, um, I really didn't have a a great understanding of this until probably more recently, but you talk a lot about grieving to grow. And again, I'm going to read you something out of your book. Um, I could read two different pages, but I chose one specific passage because I just, this is what hit me. It just, but here it is. It's, um, if we are to breathe again in the midst of our mess, however imperfect, We mustn't circumvent the healing process, no matter how much we'd like to. When we live in the pain of an unfair story, oh, just that right there. When we live in the pain of an unfair story, we grieve the lack of a happy ending. Yet, if we rush to the end, our lives and our healing aren't nearly as rich 
as God intends. Can you just talk to me about that? That's so beautiful. Well, having just confessed that I'm an Enneagram, bouncy Enneagram seven, who'd much rather, you know, bounce through and over the grieving program yeah. <laughs> process, this was a big one for me to learn. And um, I love quoting our pastor, our vicar in London, um, who said recently when we lost Al's mom, he said, look, the only way to screw up the grieving process is to not grieve. And there is such simplicity and depth within that because I really feel like um, I know for myself that over the years, you know, my parents divorced, we've moved away from um, the UK, we had a very bumpy and painful church planting experience as we moved over here you know we've gone through the loss of my mom and my sister and then me to cancer and then my husband had burnout and a complete breakdown we've had parenting struggles I mean it feels like you know slap 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 the world is just you know knocking us around a bit and it's very easy to for me to soldier on and think well I'll deal with that later and what I was discovering was that wanting to fight the emotions and bury them it was as if i was anesthetizing myself and entering more and more into denial and it was never going to heal and there was always going to be something inside me that was still broken and when we are willing to enter into that place of grief which is scary it hurts it's much you know easier to bounce along and do something fun and pretend it's not happening. But when we go through it, I don't, it's not just about healing ourselves for the future, but we find a lot of beauty within the pain and we get to remember people and we get to remember the good that happened in it and even acknowledge that we hurt for a reason. Um, you know, it's, I like to kind of say that embracing the journey is a gift you know, because it's there that we meet God. He meets us in our pain and our suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the grief of and loss, and I think, you know, I didn't really understand probably how to grieve for a really long mm -hmm. time. I had not lost uh, a loved one um, in death. So mm -hmm. because I had not lost someone, I assumed that... I was never grieving. So when I would go th through things in life, and I've been through plenty, I've been through um, really tough church situations, um, multiple of them, and and then of course um, loss of relationships in my life um, that were very very painful. And because I had not lost a loved one in death. I assumed that was the only way to grieve. That was when you grieved. I didn't mm. understand that, you know, the loss of, you know, being in ministry and being in the church and kind of how I perceived that world and myself and myself in it and all of those things and how I had to, how I had to grieve that part of my life, who I was in that time, all the things, you know, concerning that. And of course, the things I gave up to be there. And then was angry at God because I had to give those things up and now I'm still single, 
you know, my forties. Mm. And then, you know, just all of the things that, you know, go through, I really just thought, okay, I just need to, you know, suck up, suck it up and, you know, move on. And, and understanding just probably more recently that there is such a grieving process to go through when, when life falls apart. Yes. And, you know, there are the, the classic stages of grief. And I think they are equally applicable, whether we've lost, you know, a job, a dog, um, you know, a dream, mm-hmm. anything. And um, I learned this a little bit when um, my aunt had um, MS while I was um, kind of in my teens. And unfortunately, she passed away very young. But she was so debilitated by it that we had already lost the vibrant, energetic woman that she was, but she was still around. And it's the same with my friends who've got parents that are dealing with Alzheimer's or dementia. And it's like, it's hard to grieve the person that they were because they're still physically here. But I still think it's important to grieve the loss of the person that they were before you can, you will eventually have to grieve the person mm-hmm. that is here now. Now, and so grief is so complex, and it was really an encouragement that, in order to discover the full life that God has for us, we have to enter into it. We've got to wrestle with it. We've got to, um, en- yeah, enter in and be willing to sit in it. And that's where I really believe community helps. You know being willing to sit with people in their grief and not try and fix it, but just agree that yes, it sucks and it hurts and you miss them too, or yeah, you hate it that that person dumped them or whatever it was, is just so valuable. Mm-hmm. It, it really is just to be in, in holding space for someone mm. and, and equally being on the other side where someone is holding space for you. And I think that, you know, I, I now see some of the people who have been there for me are people who have been through the grieving process themselves Yes, and understand what grief is like and that it is not, it's not clean cut. It's very messy. It can be all over the place. One day is good, you know, 10 days are bad, you know, or 10 days are good and one day is bad. And you just don't know. And from moment to moment, things can change and you have to feel those things. Um, Of course, our personalities play such a large part in that because it's never going to look the same for every person because of how we're hardwired too. You know, so as you're saying, you know, like being a seven on the Enneagram versus a one versus a four, you know, like... We've all have, you know, different ways of seeing the world and seeing ourselves in it, which makes it, you know, leaning into it, you know, really a unique process for for everyone. One of the things I want to ask you is why do you think people tend to want to opt out of the grieving process? On a very simplistic level, because it hurts, <laughs> you know, would you like to go through this pain? Uh, no, thanks. Yeah. I'd rather, you know, skip over it. Thanks. I'll, I'll go um, on the detour for that. 
Um, so yes, I think really at a base level, it's because it hurts, because we don't want to be reminded, we don't want to feel that loss and that grief and even the anger and all the other things that come with grief. It's a painful place to, to sit. And so we just want to get through it or over it or round it as quickly as possible. Mm. Um, your book is like, is, is so life-giving. Like I just, I can't, you know, talk highly enough about um, the fact that you guys need to read this called Breathe Again by Nikki Hardy. Um, just absolutely a beautiful, um, practical story. She's so witty and funny in it too. Um, there's so, so many great things that you say that just actually kind of took me a little bit off guard and just made me chuckle <laughs> along the way. I was like, oh, she's got some real wit in there, <laughs> which I loved. I was like, thank you. Um, now, you had said at the beginning that, you know, this was not kind of the trajectory you saw your life going. Mm. This is not kind of, obviously you probably wouldn't have chosen um, that this would be the path that you, you've gone down, but you're here. And what is kind of the message that now you have to share with the world? I really think the the life-giving mantra that is my yeah, is my mantra, is my call, is um, that life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full, that it's possible to thrive and not just survive, no matter what life has thrown at you, that your best life isn't waiting off in the future somewhere when you sorted out your life and, you know, your problems have all gone away. It's available right now right where you are and I've just found that so exciting to to share that with others because the more and more I speak to people I realize that you know no one gets to skip the tough stuff we all know that but God has something to say to us in our pain and what he has to say to us is there's more stop waiting there's more I've got more for you right now and um, it's been incredible watching the response to to the book. And, um, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, I've got to get this for so-and-so, or my friend is going through this. And so people have started saying, it's, uh, you know, I'm giving it with a casserole. You know, when those moments when you're like, this has happened and I've just got no idea what to do. And people are giving it with a casserole mm. <laughs> or, you know, picking kids up for an activities for a friend who's wrestling with something and, and a book. And so that it's just been really exciting. I'm, you know, I'm not one of these people that's uber excited about sales numbers and reviews. And uh, although those things help, I'm excited about the message and what I see God doing in it and through it and people's lives transformed. Um, and so that's really what fires me up. Mm -hmm. You, I think the book is a, a much needed message for this generation. I really do. I think that there's something that we have been missing in our generation of really understanding um, how to go through pain in crisis. Mm. And, and I think that um, this speaks to it so eloquently and practically that it is just so easy to be able to apply it to any circumstance in our lives and so that I found so beautiful and um, so I thank you for 
for sharing your story, for um, being vulnerable and putting, you know, that those words to, to paper so that we could have it and and use um, your journey kind of as our, our, our guide map through our own. So, um, and thank you for being a guest here on the Courage Cast. Uh, I feel like um, I could ask you 50 million more questions about life. <laughs> I, even apart from the book, I'm like, okay, so what do you think about this? <laughs> so well, we'll do another one. <laughs> absolutely. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, this lady knows so many things. Um, no, so thank you so much. How can people um, find you? Of course, all of your information will be in the show notes, but um, how can they find you well i have a website nikkihardy.com and that's i spell my name nikki n-i-k-i and then hardy h-a-r-d-y and on there you'll find more about me you'll find the book trailer and you know more about the book you'll there's all sorts of resources and freebies on there as well people can download a free couple of chapters if they want to taste it before they plunge in um and i hang around on instagram and facebook a fair bit as well um nikki.hardy on those and nikki hardy author on facebook so yeah come and find me i speak all over the place so um if you follow me on social media maybe you can we can hug in person so that would be really fun yes and um and now that you've been to canada i feel like that you know i i missed you by a week um being there but that's okay we'll have to get you back up here and and be speaking you know to this canadian audience and of course people from all around the world listen so um i'm excited i will put a link to your book as well in the show notes so that you guys can easily access her book um uh, if you want to order it you know i know lots of you don't go into the stores and get it anymore it just comes right to your door so um i'll put a, a link but Nikki, thank you so much for being our guest today. You're welcome. It's been an absolute joy. I really am so grateful to Nikki for being on the Courage Cast, for sharing her story, for just really allowing us into that part of her life. And what a practical way of just showing how to get through life's really, really tough stuff. I really believe that she is a voice for this generation, one that we need not only just to hear, but we need to learn from. So courageous in the midst of great loss. And maybe as you are listening today, you are going through some trials of your own. I want to encourage you not to give up. Reach out to community, reach out to those people and surround yourself with people who will help you no matter what you are facing. And I know that when you get your hands on this book, Breathe Again, you are going to be so encouraged to keep moving forward despite whatever you might be facing in life. So I'm going to include the links to the book in the show notes along with all of Nikki's information of how to contact her through her website and all of her social media handles as well. And I want to thank you for joining me today on the Courage Cast. I love, absolutely love doing this journey with you, sharing, you know, from my own personal life. And I want to hear what's going on in yours as well. So please connect with me over on social media. You can find us at the dot Cast or my personal account at Miss Crispy. We're also on Facebook. You can find us over there as well. And when you do, please let us know so that we can 
talk to you and um, just share our journey with you. Friend, I thank you so much for being here today. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Guest, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Krilling.